0: Welcome to another episode of Rare Find Voices Podcast. My name is Robin Koenig and I'm the CEO and founder of Rare Find. I'm a self-improvement junkie, certified professional coach, podcast host, and public speaker. And I'm a wife and mom of four teenagers. I'm an expert at helping people use their gifts to take intentional action and get intentional results. How do I do this? By helping you realize your gifts and use them as your superpowers. I love challenging people to think differently, see things differently, and then do things differently to create powerful change in their life. Each week, I'll share my voice or bring forward another fine voice to help you uncover your gifts, step into that power, and allow your brilliance to shine through. Believe me, I know how it feels to struggle with feeling good enough, pretty enough, smart enough, successful enough, and deal with a major life transition such as getting married, getting divorced, changing jobs, or having kids. This podcast is for you if you want to be more confident in your own skin, transform your mindset, and get out of your own way. If you're ready to show the world your greatest gifts, then keep listening, because you are a rare find. So let's get started. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Rare Find Voices. I'm super excited. I have another guest. Yes, another guest. This is my dear friend, Jamie Consulman. Now, Jamie has an amazing bio. First of all, she's the founder of Finding My Fire, which you'll hear more about. She's also a corporate renegade, which sounds super cool, with a -a one-of-a-kind perspective on defining success on her own terms. A born dealmaker, Jamie has brokered $100 million enterprise-level IT services deals. She's worked for global brands like Ados, Axiom, MGM Resorts, and Walt Disney Corporation. As a certified professional coach and Harvard-trained leadership trainer, she helps burnt-out entrepreneurs and executives to find their fire so they can have it all, a life full of passion and purpose built on realizing their deepest desires. She lives in Las Vegas, where you can find her training for a triathlon, spending time with her wife and her three Labradors, so adorable, Kona Kaimana and Sir Winston. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Thank you for having me, Robin. I'm excited to be here. You stop it right now. I literally cannot stop smiling because you are such a dear friend and I've been dying and dying to get you on my show. So I'm just going to warn listeners right now. I'm kind of giddy about this.
1: I love it. Same here. Like I can feel your energy. So it's super exciting.
0: <laughs> okay. I just read your bio. I know you. So it's like, we've gotten to know each other. We've known each other now for about three years, I would say. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. We went through the same coaching credential program over at IPEC. So what a phenomenal way to meet new people. I feel like I feel like I've known you even longer, but we've definitely developed this great friendship and um, just such a trust and bond in the coaching industry. But that aside, you are a phenomenally intelligent and, and just like this life experience you have, that I've been itching literally to like have you share more with the world. So. <laughs> Um, but here's my question. Okay. I love, I love the tea up. I'm ready with anticipation. Okay. I just talked a little bit about your background and there's a lot more here to be said. I would love for you to share with my audience kind of what got you to doing what you are doing today, as far as coaching and training and all of these great things. And I'm going to caveat it with the fact that it may not be what everybody expects, And that's exactly why I really love to have you share your story. So can you just open the, open the floodgates for us, please?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, so the biggest thing that got me where I am, I believe is just, you know, always wanting to find my passion and my purpose and help people. And while that sounds easy enough, it's really been a lifelong pursuit that I would say has taken me, oh, I don't know, just a few decades. And so today when I coach people, while they know, many people know me as either a coach or a speaker, or ha- having had such a uh, long-term career in sales um, for big, big um, Fortune 500 companies. Only recently did I start sharing my personal story, um, which you know, you know pretty well. In terms of you know being a college dropout who ended up being an adult entertainer, and really credits that world and that path with making me who I am today. So part of how I got to where I am is sort of the I'm going to say the Long, slow, roll, long, slow road of sort of peeling back my own layers to really carve out a path that is not just true to me and who I am, but what I want to be in the world for other people.
0: Okay, so you touched on a couple of things there, and I want you to go.
1: (laughs) Yes, I did. You said swing the door open, so here we are.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, and again, like. I know you, you've done some phenomenal speaking opportunities. You go out there and when you walk into the room, not only do you have a presence because, you know, you've, you've got yourself where you are, which is, you know, again, your journey and your success story, which is great. I would love for you to kind of, again, share a little bit more about the unexpected things that, that you experienced as a teen, and you already said it, in adult entertainment, like you learned a lot from a path, that for many people
1: could have gone in a completely different direction. Well, you two said a lot there. So I'm going to unpack it a little bit. And so first, thanks for that acknowledgement. I think one of the things that has been part of my journey as a coach is realizing that sharing my story isn't shameful. Sharing the path that made me who I am is really, every time I do that, opportunities for others to own their own path and life circumstance. I think for me that's been one of the most eye-opening experiences is, is going into you know a public company in IT or in you know hotel services or a casino and sharing my journey as an adult entertainer you know who took all of those business lessons and learned basic things I'd missed as a teenager right setting boundaries and learning how to speak up for myself and sharing that journey in a corporate setting. And then, sort of being bombarded by the amount of people and the emotion that gets expressed when you see people really sink into accepting their own life journey, whatever that may have been for them.
0: That's and that's powerful, right? So, yeah,
1: it you can really, at, really
0: is. <clears throat> excuse me. You can look at it from a coaching perspective, which again is kind of like you said, helping other people remove the judgment, remove the shame associated that's with. Right their story and their experience, which can be really, really difficult. It's, it's, I mean, it's like one of the reasons why we actually have a job as a coach is because that kind of stuff is really hard to do. But when you went through it for yourself, obviously you were able to kind of then put a, you know, a a shine a light on or put a pinpoint on those things that were so critically important and understanding about yourself. And this is where I kind of go into like, those gifts, the things that you know are so powerful about yourself, they're meant to be shared. That's why it's a gift. Mm. And use them powerfully in your life as your superpowers. Like now, now that you're able to look at your own story and, and share that, what are some of those things that come up that you're like, these are my gifts. And I got that from my own journey without the shame and judgment.
1: Sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think the biggest thing is, is, is knowing how to talk to people and realizing that, you know, in my own journey of trying to find success in career and and really having some pretty rigid ideas about what that was, right? Even when I was in my 20s, success in career meant I was going to be a top level executive. I was going to be making seven or eight figures, have board seats. And it was all of these ideals that I thought were successful. And until I got there, there was part of me that always felt like a failure. Um, You know, and I would look around or share that only you know the, my most intimate moments with my closest friends and they would say, But you have it all, you own your home, like you do triathlons, you do all these great things. How can you not feel successful? You know, and, and I would be filled with a little bit of embarrassment and I don't know, but it was because I couldn't pinpoint it. And you know, when you do the work and you journal and you do all of these things that we do for ourselves and we teach clients to do, the thing that kept coming up for me was. It didn't matter if I was, you know, an adult entertainer talking to, you know, businessmen who would literally pay me to sit there and talk to them, or I was going into, you know, a company like a Nike or Coca-Cola and talking to the executives, what I was actually doing always felt the same. I was talking to people. I was listening to what was important to them. I was making them feel better about what their position was and engaging in these deep, intimate dialogues, something I eventually started to call customer intimacy. You know, when you see somebody exactly as they are, exactly as they're not, and you accept them. And so it wasn't until I really started to study soft skills and do leadership development, really education for myself, that I started to realize those are my gifts. And it didn't matter where I was in terms of environment. I was using my gifts in my field at that time. And so it just kind of made me start to realize how often we can have a gift or a skill set, whatever you want to call it, a strength and completely undervalue it because it comes to us so naturally. We don't even think about it. I was so fixated on the environment or what I thought success was that I hadn't realized I've been cultivating my soft skills in a very real way, you know, since before I even knew what they were when I was a teenager. I love that.
0: I'm like, I'm like writing these crazy notes because, you know, you're bringing up again, the things that when you were able to just remove, like you said, the context of it or the environment or, you know, the beliefs that you had for a while around like this was a failure, this is what I'm supposed to do, or this was wrong, right? All yes. of those things that hide this the real stuff that we get from it that is valuable, you'd uncovered things like your strength in communication, your ability to connect, you know, your compassion that That's you right. have. For people and brought that now into something that you know is so helpful to other people that's why it's a gift right so you can share it and impact other people's lives as this understanding of acceptance and customer intimacy to help people believe that they have what it takes
1: no matter where they got it from that that's exactly it, right that it's useful that's exactly right and and for, and You know, I think when we go through these periods of ourselves where we're searching for something and it takes us a long time, we can often feel like everybody else has it all figured out. You know, I know I've always felt like a late bloomer. The things that seemed easy for, oh, everybody, right, that classic everybody were always hard for me. And it's just that my path has been that different. And part of why I love coaching so much now is I get to sort of package up those insights and those, you know, the meaning that I found for myself that took me decades, right, and then sort of concatenate that into programs and facilitation exercises and workshops so people can experience that transformation for themselves in an expedited, you know, time frame.
0: Yeah, totally. And, and I also really love that you are able to say like, that it's not like what you do isn't necessarily going to be for everybody. Right. And That's I right. that too, right? You first start coaching and you're like, I help everybody, you know, like everybody can work with me and then the reality sets in it's like no that's actually not true because mm. i may not click with that person there's just a lot there it's not just a service it's about how you can really form a relationship with a client and help them through a process but you know for you like your story may not click with everybody or and and how you are able to help people through may not click for everybody and that's okay to be at that place of yeah like that's totally okay But when you do connect with
1: a particular client, it's powerful stuff. Absolutely. Right. I mean, it's sort of the same context of dating, right? You wouldn't want to date everybody out there. We all have a type. And I think the same holds true to coaching. I relate everything to dating, by the way. I can totally
0: always draw a parallel, right? When I was doing dating coaching and matchmaking.
1: Oh, of course. It's right it, in your wheelhouse.
0: It was right. And I can always pertain back to it. But it's like, I always say, you know, you don't want the big pool. You want to go deep into the small pool.
1: Yep, that's exactly
0: right. You know, so tell me a little bit more then about the kinds of clients that you do work with, and the kinds of transformation and progress that, that you get to experience with them. Like, what
1: is that like? Who's your ideal client? Sure. I think for me, the ideal client is more about somebody who has personal values around wanting to find their passions, somebody who's hungry for fulfillment in their life. You know, sometimes that looks like, you know, a professional woman who's left the workforce. She's been a stay at home mom for a long time. And now she's in this position of, well, you know, I don't really need to work for financial reasons, right? I have a partner that does that. So if I'm not working for money, what am I working for? What makes me happy? And that, for people, can be a really disorienting time. So for, you know, for clients like that, we, we, we do a lot of work around helping them get clear on what their true desires are, what's going to help them make, be, feel fulfilled, and what kind of impact do they make on the world? You know, and at the same time, those questions and that yearning can also show up in a demographic that looks completely different. I've had clients who are men who are senior level executives. They've got it all, right? They've got multiple houses, they vacation often, kids in private school or coming through college and they wake up and they say, is this it? Like, like, have I made an impact? Will I leave a legacy beyond, right, the, the money I leave for my kids? And what's been so interesting for me is that the process that I went through to find some of these things for myself that work with the stay-at-home mom also work with that senior level executive to help them key in on their life purpose and the legacy they want to leave. So it's been a really neat thing for me to learn how these universal questions can show up in so many different, you know, types of people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But you also said some key things. There's like willingness. That's right. Desire. Um, and I, I think I say it almost every single day when I talk with somebody new is like, I, I'm in the coaching business, not the convincing business. Yeah. Yes. You know, and and sometimes it takes a little kind of encouragement to say, you know, is this something you want? And I'm here for you, right? So it does yep. come from a place of care and compassion. But at the same time, um, coaching is not the kind of thing for somebody that is resisting change. Like if they don't want it, then it's like then it's just the opportunity is there, but it's not something that can be forced or else, you, you know, you get what you put into it,
1: right? Nope. A- absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself, right? What's the old expression? You can leave a, lead a hot horse to water, but they actually have to want to drink. And I think the same applies in coaching. I actually just want to acknowledge you for your role in really helping me see who I am as a coach. You know, you may, yeah, big deal. You may remember, you know, oftentimes when you're a new coach, you know, there's so much messaging and medium about pick a niche and you need to be able to clearly identify the demographic of who you work for. I help women who X or men who X. And I can remember being, I don't know, a year, maybe two years into this process and feeling a little bit stuck because none of my clients look the same. Um, And I allowed myself to be stuck for some time. And it was you who said to me, you know, because of the rigor of the program we went into and the certifications we have, Jamie, we're an expert at the coaching process. So if your clients all look different on the outside, maybe, you know, there's something on the inside that is similar among them that you can find. And it was really that that not only got me unstuck, right? And suddenly my client roster was full in a matter of a few days, but it helped me really realize that the types of people that I coach, it's not about the package of their body or the job that they have. It's those intrinsic personal values um and you know i don't know that i would have gotten there if you and i had not had that you know heart-to-heart conversation so just know how impactful you know you are as a coach with me even as a friend. so thank you
0: oh, well thank you you're, i'm, I'm yeah.
1: like
0: all blushing right now you can't see me but <laughs> but um but no i appreciate that and again it's a learning it's a learning process mm-hmm. and just like anything else you're you're kind of starting on a new a new path and you know with coaching building it's like. I, I hear this a lot from even small business owners that I work with. Cause a lot of them are in health or wellness or fitness. And, and, and I think coaching applies to this where we do the work, we start doing the work because we want to help people. Right. And that's yep. the intention is help people. And then along the way we're like, Oh, and we're building a business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's that. And we may not necessarily have been trained to do that necessarily in tandem or at the same or, or at the same um, trajectory or even want to do that. I mean, like quite honestly, and I meet a lot of people that are struggling in their business because they didn't intend to start a business, but here they are five years in the, you know, down the road, they got all their credentials or their licensing or whatever built it, but they don't actually have a business. And that's where, you know, like a layer cake, you've got your top layer and your bottom layer, but the middle of it is just, it's going to sink. Yeah. And, So not to digress on that, but I just find it very interesting because we've both been through that process of like, oh, and by the way, build a business, but still don't want to take away from helping people. And, you know, my belief is that they are, they are not mutually exclusive. Like they really can go hand in hand. Absolutely. um, But I want to go back to something because I wrote this down um, because I went to your website, of course. And. One of the things you have on your website that I absolutely love, it's right on your homepage, is a quote from you. It says, one of our greatest gifts is to be able to change the outcome of our own life story.
1: 100%
0: believe that. And so tell me where that comes from.
1: I love to write. And so so a lot of the times when I'm thinking about things, I think of our life as a story. For me, that gives me permission to, you know, to change chapters or to go through life transitions and think about it like a, a story. So that's been something that's always helped me personally. But I know that quote came to me when I was writing and, you know, uh, working on the manuscript for my memoir, because, I, you know, I met with some literary agents in New York and a woman um, who's, who's pretty prominent in the industry. She's, you know, published books by Oprah and all sorts of world famous people. Um, I had a one-on-one with her and she said to me, your story is so curious. I was really excited first expecting a typical stripper story. You know, smart girl goes to college, makes a mistake, ends up dancing, but recovers. And you don't write your story that way. You write it as the path that you took was exactly the path that you needed to become who you are. She said, tell me more about that because I'm curious. Um, and, And I really do believe that, that the lessons that I needed to learn about boundaries, about social skills, about business, were packaged up in exactly the medium right the life that I needed to make me who I am so I don't see some of the twists and turns in my journey as a mistake I see them as a wild adventure and and you know almost plot points in a book because that's how I like to live my life right is that we get to create and in any moment right we've got the pen in our hands and we can turn the page and write a new chapter
0: I, I so absolutely love that and and it's true and it's all about the perspective yeah. right because nothing changed as far as like the story didn't change, but it was how you looked at it. And That's right. to be the one, to be in that, um, to have the pen, to be the creator um, and to write the story and also be able to look back without shame, without, um, you know, resentment even and um, feeling like it was a mistake. And I, and I can, I tap into that with my own journey And, you know, having been through a divorce and gone through a lot of job changes and things, you know, it's super easy to kind of just get pissed off, Mm. right. And to get frustrated and mad and blame and all of those things. But quite honestly, it just then puts us in a place of like, well, going nowhere, you know, because it's a heavy thing. It's it's something that, you know, again, that's like, at some point, it's not that you can say, I'm glad that happened. I mean, maybe in some ways, but at the same time, it's like, I learned so much from that. And I know I've learned so much from, you know, going through what I have in my life journey and I am grateful. I I am a very different person now than I was before. And I do believe that there's a reason for that. And if I'm able to now embrace it like you have, right, you can embrace it and now use it as the, like the juice in your day, in your
1: career, in the power that you can bring to your coaching. Like, how awesome is that? Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself, right? To me, it's the distinction between, you know, the power being outside of me and being a victim of life versus having it be within my control. Even when things may not seem that way, it's all about how you look at it. And I'd rather internalize that and feel like my stance is grounded. Um, You know, when I'm in the driver's seat of my life, no matter which choices that I make, right, there's no wrong choice. It's just a choice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, it's like you're owning it. You're owning it and then using it right? That's, yeah, that's what it's all about. That's all you why, got. Is why your let, story. There. There's, um, so one of my favorite people in the world, I'm going to give him another plug, which is pretty much every time I do a show Um, Steve Farber, he's a mentor of mine. He's a brilliant author. He's a leadership guru. And, um, and so, you know, he teaches this concept of extreme leadership and it's okay. built on a framework called leap. And um, which is cultivate love, generate energy, inspire audacity, and provide proof. And so, and I'm trained in this framework, like it's really, it's really beneficial for companies and individuals and so forth. But one of my absolute favorite words in the whole whole world, I can't even speak, um, is the word audacity. Mm. And it's funny, I've told the story before, but growing up, the word audacity to me was actually a negative word. And I remember, um, you know, not to say my mom, like is such a dear, loving person. But for some reason, the word audacity was like her way of kind of being like judgy, right? Okay. like, oh, what audacity, you know, like this, like, you know, of somebody else like, oh, what? She has such audacity. and It was like a negative thing of like, how dare that person, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I grew up with that understanding. Well, now the word audacity and the way that Steve Farber really sets the stage for it, which is awesome, is if it's love inspired audacity, right? So it's coming from a place of love audacity, the definition of the word is a bold and blatant disregard for normal constraints. But when it's love inspired, it's with a positive intent to change the world for the better. Love that. Okay. So it's one of my favorite words. And what happens is, you know, those normal constraints are things that are usually imposed on us by other people. That's kind of how, you know, it can be used in a way like to prevent us from doing amazing things. And so when you're able to use audacity as a way to inspire something new, you tend to have an experience, which he, he calls the oh shit moment, the OSM, okay. where you do something. And the first thing that comes to your mind is, oh shit, <laughs> what am I doing? Right? So I share all of that, set the stage because I feel like you probably have some experiences, perhaps some OSMs, where audacity has been a very powerful and positive thing for you. I'm curious if you can share a story or an experience where that showed up for you and it's made a positive impact on you or somebody else.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think we, I have those moments all the time, right? I mean, it's the, the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, the, during the great recession, I was laid off four times, you know, the new kid on the block, I'm almost 30, just got my degree because of my you know, wildlife journey. And every six months I was getting laid off, right? It was the worst um, economic downturn unemployment rate until today. Um, And so I would post like on social media, hey, I've been laid off from MGM or I've been laid off from this agency uh, because I believe in transparency and that's not my fault. Downsizing is not my fault, right? I wasn't a bad employee. And it really just kind of amazed me how many people would quickly message me, text me, call me. Oh, you should never do that. You should say you left. Looks bad. Um, And I can just remember kind of, at first questioning myself oh should i hide this should i lie and then i checked in with myself and decided no right it's not my fault there's nothing wrong right and so i've always held on to that because i think there's such power in being able to own your truth and whatever that is right and and those judgments from others their constraints they put on themselves will show up as judgments against you and you know, i think part of our responsibility if we want to live true to ourselves is learning how to filter that out Right. So, I mean, that could go on for a long time. There's so many of those moments, right. When I first started saying, Hey, I'm going to do an Ironman and I'm in my mid thirties and I'd never played a sport, you know, and and suddenly I'm posting about swimming, biking, running all the time as you do when you discover a new passion and you're living out a childhood dream. And you would be surprised again, how many people started to message me and say, Hey, you seem obsessed with this triathlon thing. You know, you're never going to go pro, right? You know, you're going to never make a living out of this. And again, I could sit there and go, who cares, right? I have a job, right? I'm spending all of my free time in a sport that is making me healthier than I've ever been. And you know what, it changed my life. I don't think if I had ever, if I'd never found my running coach who turned into my triathlon coach, I don't know that I would have gotten to experience what I did. And at the core of it, it was this unrelinquished childhood dream of being an athlete. And as silly as that might sound to some, it was also, I think the first time in my adult life where I put a you know, flag in the ground and said, this dream lives in my heart and I'm just going to do it. And when I got to experience that, I truly believe it became the fulcrum that st- sort of spun me into this place of stopping to look, of looking outside myself for answers and learning that I truly had the ability to look into as deep of my heart as I wanted to and start to bring those desires to life. Exactly. I think I, right. And I think I've shared this with you before that I finished my first Ironman and said, I'm going to find my life purpose and it's going to be my passions, my gifts and being of service, even though I had no idea what that would mean and that it would take another five to six years to discover life coaching. But it's all part of the journey and it's all part of the puzzle pieces that have left, you know, brought me to today. So I think those, you know, OS, you said OSM moments are so crucial because, you know, you never know where they're gonna lead. And if you have the power to look within yourself and and, and follow your own path or carve your own trail, well to me that's where the magic happens. And I think yeah. we all have that ability,
0: and it's and it's so cool too because they're like breadcrumbs, right? Exactly, and you can pick them up or you can just leave them there. Yep. But um, At the same time, like you said, you you didn't really know what it was going to, like what it was going to do, but you knew it was going to do something. Like for you to make that commitment to yourself, and I'm sure you know there's multiple OSMs in there, right? So first is like the registration, right? Oh I'm yeah. Doing that for myself, when you know even when I did my first like half marathon, I would never been a runner and I was like, okay, the OSM is I just paid $120 to go run a race. All right. (laughs) But then the second one is like when you actually show up that morning, you know, at zero dark 30 to do, you know, or whatever the sport is, it's like when you show up in uniform with your gear and your equipment and you're ready to go and you're like, oh shit, like I, now I actually have to do it. I've been training, I've been doing all these things. And so it's kind of a That's whole right. other level of the experience because now we're actually doing it. Like right? you're That's doing right. what you would do. Um, I'm reading, there's a quote that again, Steve Farber does in his training, but it's, it's so good because um, I thought it, it's, it's just funny. And it's, it's kind of one of those things I feel like if you embrace the idea of what he's talking about, it can be really cool for you, um, even in you know any experience. But um, so Jimmy Shea was a U.S. Olympian. He won the 2002 gold medal in the skeleton.
1: Okay. And
0: the skeleton being like a crazy-ass sport, right? You're literally flying yourself down, you know, a, a, a I don't know. It's a track. That's what it's mm-hmm. called. It's a track on like a skateboard, a massive skateboard, right? It's just, it's so insane. Like why people do this, I don't know. But anyway, he was a U.S. Olympian and he said... The first time I went down that run, I was going too fast and I realized I just made the biggest mistake of my life. Mm-hmm. I, while while I, he's going down. While he's O-S-M. going down O S M. Right. And then he says, When I got to the bottom, I couldn't wait to get back up and do it again. Love that. And and so I think about that as the true example of like We might not feel like this is right. And we're so freaking terrified. And especially right right now, we're in the midst of a global pandemic. There's so much happening. We're going down that track, you know, feet first, terrified. But there are some moments, especially even right now that I can say that was terrifying. I thought it was a total mistake. I cannot wait to get up and do it again.
1: I love that. I love that so much. I want to underscore what you said um, with a different context. Okay. Because um, somebody recently asked me this question, and, and the question was, what are you afraid of? And I thought about it for a moment, and I thought, you know, if you would have asked me that question at 19 years old, 25 years old, maybe even 30, I would have said nothing, very quickly. Maybe even with a chip on my shoulder, right? I've skydived, I've traveled by myself, I'll go to a restaurant alone, I am not afraid of anything, right? Maybe even with a little head bob, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I <girl>. can <laughs> And then you start to get a little bit more self-awareness and you realize there's lots of things, right? Being alone, right? Not feeling good enough. There's all these fears in there. And, and w- why I bring this up as you talk about OS, OSM moments, the OS moments, right? Is because you hit the nail on the head, right? Sign, if, I'll use the triathlon example. First time I signed up for a triathlon, it was petrified, right? And then you do it and it's not so bad. But then the next time you sign up and the race is a little different, Open water co-ed swim. Wait, wait what? We're all going to run at the same time into the ocean? I'm going to die. How many people have died doing this, right? There's all of these moments that come up. And then over time, what I didn't realize it was teaching me is those moments have taught me who I am in the face of fear, right? When fear shows up, how do I act? How do I breathe? What are the sensations I have? And I love those feelings now because now they're my indicator that I'm doing something that truly scares me. Right. And if I think of all the times in life where I lived without that sensation, I can say I was probably doing things that, yeah, maybe I wanted to do, but I was not that emotionally invested in. Right. Going on a job interview. I don't care. I'm not afraid. Well, you know what? I didn't really care if I got them. Taking my manuscript for the first time to New York City to pitch agents and share my story for the first time is the exact same feeling I had the moment before a race. All that self-talk was the same. Why am I here? Why do I put so much time into this? I don't want to do this anymore. What a waste of time. My hands get cold and sweaty, right? My stomach starts to hurt. And those are the sensations I get in my OSM moments. And I'm so, so grateful for them because now I know that when that comes up, I'm doing something that's really, really important to who I am. I love that. And the
0: indicators, you know? Yes. They're they're our own our own body and mind telling us that don't stop. Like use that. Use that to create something really, really awesome. And um, and I appreciate you also saying like how the opposite can also be true, where if that's not showing up, like what's the question you can ask yourself? You know, that's right. Does this have enough value for you? is this worth your time and energy? And if not, then why are you doing it? You know, answer that question. Is it, you know, you just think that you're not capable of doing more or, you know, what, what is preventing you from pushing yourself to a place where you can feel a little afraid and a little excited all at the same time, but you can consciously tell yourself it's nothing to run away from right? That's few, right. Two kinds of fear, right? Emotional fear and physical fear, physical fear. Yeah. That's a bear in the road. You might want to run the other way, or I don't know. Don't take my advice. if you <laughs> <run like this. laughs> <laughs> We understood but I'm, the
1: point, right? Yeah. Right, but like, there's true physical harm in the way, right?
0: Exactly. Exactly. So, um, I'm going to have all these people, you know, saying, Oh no, you're not supposed to run when there's a bear. Okay. I get it. But emotional fear isn't an indicator of something that you actually really should do and use that powerfully to know you pushed yourself to, you know, outside of that comfort zone, you know, and I can relate a hundred percent to that showing up on my first weightlifting platform in front of an audience, staring at me saying, okay, you see that barbell with that weight on it, go ahead and lift it. And we'll tell you if it's good or not Mm
1: -hmm. by, you know, a
0: white light or a red light. And you know, if you get two out of three, you're good. And if not, you you know it doesn't count and so it was like being on a stage yeah. in front of you know to perform but with something really heavy and and you know doing that i don't think it's something i probably would have even considered at a younger age you know my first my first competition was at age of 40 Love and it. i don't think i would have considered it in my 20s or 30s because again probably feeling like well it's probably not something i can do or it doesn't really matter this isn't my thing or whatever and so similar to your experience with, you know, um, being an athlete, I've used that powerfully in all the, all areas of my life, you know, to push myself and say, what does it feel like? Does it feel like that time that you stepped on that platform? Okay, good.
1: I love it. The indicators are there, right? But until you've gone through them, you won't always know. Um, you know, one of the questions I will ask people is what in your life are you doing? Cause you truly want, want to do it. And what are you doing in your life that's a means to an end?
0: Hmm.
1: Okay, so tell me more about that. Sure, um, and I'll use my own life example, right? Because I would never ask anybody a question that I wouldn't want to answer myself. Um, you know, the classic example for me was there's been so many things that were a means to an end, right? I didn't really want to study finance in college, but I was trying to become successful. And, you know, I'd read in a book somewhere that, that if you have a sales background and you couple it with finance, that you'll be more successful as an executive. Okay. So, so I did that. Right. And again, all of these little steps weren't necessarily scary because I wasn't that invested. Like if I had truly lived then, like I live now, I would be putting myself out there more. I would be doing something aligned to what I believe in. And that's scary means to an end. Not so scary. Yeah,
0: no, that's so good. And I, it makes me think about kind of, again, like, Growing up, or even like when you get out of college, there's all these beliefs around what you're supposed to do. Oh yeah. And even if you've been graded in your mind, like well, I went to school for this. I went to school for finance. I'm supposed to be in finance, and then you just keep doing that because it's your belief that that's the path you're supposed to take. And I remember when I shifted gears in my career, the first question I had was like, "What are people going to think? Are they going to mm. think like?" this is, you know, silly or, um, even just like stupid because I had gone to school for a certain thing and now I'm completely doing something else. And And, by the way, I pivoted like 10 other times, (laughs) you know, and, but that still comes up sometimes. Like you said, I'm supposed to be doing this because it's what I'm supposed to do in this path towards whatever everybody
1: believes, but what do I believe? That, that's exactly right. You know, we were taught, I think when we were you know, growing up, that success is like a ladder, right? You climb the corporate ladder or whatever, you own a business and rung by rung, you go higher. And I love the Sheryl Sandberg quote from one of her books, I can't remember, um, I think it was the, the first one where she said, success is less like a ladder and more like a jungle gym. Mm. You know, so, so for me, right, bartending and then, you know, being a casino marketing host and all of the different things I've done while on the outside may not look related I was still fine tuning those same skills, those so- same gifts over all of these different career trajectories. And it's, it's made me who I am and, you know, allowed me to find the path of being a life and you know, leadership coach. And a jungle gym sounds way more fun. Heck yeah! (laughs) Way way
0: more fun. I'm not a fan of ladders or climbing many things, so Jungle Gym sounds more fun to me. (laughs) Um, I just brought up, too, I just did an interview the other day with somebody else um, who was amazing. I don't want to spoil it because I haven't released it yet, but he um, mentioned a quote from a friend of his. It was kind of more like an insight, and it was so awesome. It's so simple, but I need to share it, Um, and he said, a friend of his basically said, do you want to count in life or do you want to count
1: and it was Mm -hmm. like
0: okay so right the count meaning Mm -hmm. do you want to count the financial side of it or do you want to count in what you're doing and it was so simple and it was just like yeah no i really love that i really
1: love that (laughs) i do too the what i what i hear in that is is in my own words right is the distinction between being on the bleachers right And commentating the game and actually being in the game and and playing it, right? Um, I always would rather be in the game, but yet it's so easy to end up in the bleachers, you know, as the commentator. And, and, And the magic is what happens when you're actually in the game, right? Or to reference the Franklin Roosevelt quote about being actually in the arena, right? The credit goes to the man who's marred, his face is muddy, not the critic.
0: You've got so much to share. I'm telling you, (laughs) like we could literally go. I could talk to you all day. I know. I know. And I love that. Um, okay. So I want to ask you a question. Um, because again, I know you've got, you've got a lot of things that you do. You're a busy woman. You've got, you know, your own business. You've got, you know, your training as an athlete. You've got your family, your gorgeous, adorable dogs. Um, And, and again, like there's a lot going on and it can be really hard to stay focused and not get overwhelmed and such. So do you have any tips for people as far as staying motivated and being consistent in how they are work towards the, working towards the things that they desire in their life, like a routine or a mindset, like how do you stay motivated towards the things that you want?
1: Mm, That's a really good one. There's some things in there about motivation. There's some things in there about consistency. There's so much goodness. And so if I sit for a moment with what you say, what comes up for me is, and this is my approach and I share it with clients quite a bit, um, is that so often I think in society we get, we collapse two things. We collapse a vision with a plan. Mm. And to me, leaders and, and when you're leading your life, I talk about this quite a bit, you are a leader of your life, whether you think you are or you're not. If you want to get where you're going, you must lead your life. And part of the qualities of a leader are having vision. It can also be called your dream, something that's not tangibly there yet, but you are foreseeing for the future. And I think a lot of us dream, but then we quickly get bogged down and we collapse the dream and the plan. What, are all, what is every tactical step I need to be doing to get there? And I think that's what trips most people up. So what I try to do is I try to keep that dream, that vision present in my life, and then remind myself that as long as I am doing something, something every day towards that, that I will get there. And I try to release attachment to what that something is. Now, I'm not saying I don't have lists and, you know, a marketing calendar for what I do for myself or goals. I have all of that stuff, but I try to give myself freedom with how I show up each day and get there because as you said, right, life is a juggling act of all of these different responsibilities. And for me, I've found that to be really helpful and gives me an expansion and space to operate within. You know, sometimes those little things that I do might be calling you or doing a podcast and other days, you know, it might be you know, working on a program or a client has come along that I really, really want to work with because we click and I hadn't planned on taking a client. So, so then I focus on that for a little while. And for me, that works because it's, you know, gives me that freedom to be flexible within how I do things on a day-to-day basis and it also is aligned to my dream.
0: That's beautiful. And also I think extremely pertinent right now because what I'm hearing, and I and again, I, I relate it to my own experience as well, but what I'm hearing too is from a lot of people is that there's so much fear about maybe the dream or the vision not being possible anymore because of what's happening in this current mm. space, that you know that you know, that there's losing, losing hope when it Mm -hmm. comes to what that is. And so what would you share with somebody that maybe is in that place where they're not even sure if that's possible anymore, but there is an opportunity to still do some things now? Like, how would you maybe approach that conversation? Cause I hear it a lot right now. So I'm curious for your thoughts on that.
1: Sure. I think the biggest, coaching tool, if you will, right, that helps me that I share with clients when they are losing hope or when they're discouraged, or I would even say caught up in fear or caught up in the, all their head of, you know, what's going to work and wanting to have all of these things controlled or planned out is very simply getting get back connected into our bodies. So there's a, you know, we've long thought in the coaching world, right, that you connect your head and your heart and your body and, and you're in alignment. Well, now there's science that backs that up. There's a, there's a scientist, can't remember his name. I'll, I'll send it to you but he teaches something called the three brains, that we have a you know, the, the brain in our head, there are cellular um, connections that happen when we connect our head, our heart, and our gut. And so to me, sometimes it can be as simple as a breathing exercise, getting outside in nature, doing the things that help me connect my head and my heart, because that grounds me back into hope, that grounds me back into my vision. And suddenly that worry tends to go away.
0: I'm, I'm making notes on that too, because again, it's a very tangible practice, like you said, and it can it can look different for anybody, it can work for anybody in a different way. Um, but the premise is the fact that if you ground yourself in a place that, again, believing that, there's, that there is a dream and a vision that is possible, and maybe it needs to change a little bit, right? Sure. Yeah. It's okay to change. And you even said it earlier, like release the attachment of kind of what it is and maybe in the steps to get there. Because if we're so rigid in, well, I'm doing this now, but then something changes and, and, and we do need to affect change in whatever that path is, it doesn't mean that the dream or the vision is no longer possible to reach. It's just a totally different direction.
1: Um, a- absolutely. Our dreams are living, breathing things, right? I mean, we could have our dream birthday all planned out, but then once we get there, something different happens and we still get that same intrinsic feeling and that's okay, right? And so
0: dream thing goes away- That's just- right. It's redesigned, and you get to be the one to paint the picture still, but you might have to pick a different color.
1: That's right, right? When Walt Disney said, I'm going to build the happiest place on Earth, and he was staring at swamplands, you know, in the middle of Florida with nothing developed on it, you're sure he didn't see a picture of Space Mountain, right, or the globe at Epcot, right? All of those things take time, but the dream and the vision was there, and that didn't change the fact or discredit all of the twists and turns that it took for you know Walt Disney World to become what it is today.
0: Yeah, and again, I I share that because I know again right now there are so many people um, whether you had the dream of you know the perfect wedding right now and it, it's mm-hmm. going to look different or be postponed or whatever um, you know the the career that is evolving because of, you know, being, you know, maybe being laid off or being furloughed or whatever, or the financial dream that you have of owning a home. Like there's just so many things and I understand that it's scary. And at the same time, I'm so encouraging of people to not walk away from it and not think that a dream can't still exist in this current situation, but you might have to go back to the drawing board and give yourself permission to do that. Remove the stuff that you're pissed off about, that you're frustrated yeah. about, because you can't change that. There are some things that just can't, right? Serenity prayer, having the wisdom mm-hmm. to know the difference. That's right. And put the pen back
1: to paper or have the conversation with somebody to say, well, what could this look like now? That's, right? exactly, that's exactly right. I don't know who said this, but there's that saying out there is, you know, when you get tired, learn to take a break, not quit. And I think that is so relevant right now. I mean, you said it, there are people who are so frustrated, who are so scared that by impulse they are giving up their dreams, right? Or feeling deflated or like they can't get to where they want to go fast enough. And my advice for those people would be, right? Take a break, call a friend, right? Focus. You said the serenity prayer, right? Focus on what you can control, not on what you can't. And it's through this time, I truly believe that we are developing the resiliency and skills that while we might not be able to see them right now will help us, you know, forward our own dreams and agendas, you know, maybe not in the way we thought, but in a way that, um, you know, we couldn't have had we not learned all of these things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, love, I love to ask my guests about a, a quote or a mantra. We've talked about quite a few, which is... <laughs> Um, but you did share one with me. You said, and this is your own quote, trying time, times are training for greatness. Tell me where yes. that comes from.
1: Oh, I know exactly the day that it, that it came, right. It was, it was a tough time, right. I was 18 or 19 and I was, uh, you know, shacked up living with a woman who was at the time considered uh, North America's most published centerfold. She taught me the industry and she taught me the ropes. for her best friends and One day I came home to her mansion on, you know, the Sugarloaf golf course in Georgia and all my stuff was in the driveway. Her husband said he didn't want house guests anymore. Well, that's a whole nother story, but you know, so here I am not old enough to rent a car um, with a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, you know, in my mind, homeless, my parents were living their dream traveling the country in an RV. And I can remember looking around at the, you know, rolling grass of this Greg Norman golf course thinking, right, I got a choice right now. I can, uh, I can cry, right? And I can panic, and I can because I have no idea where I'm going to go or how I'm going to get there. Or I can realize that the universe is testing me, and that one day a house like this is going to be mine, and I'm going to have all the success that I need. And I need to buckle up right now and, and just uh, turn these hard times into my training to be great one day. And so that over time just morphed into that mantra that anytime I've been faced with adversity or something that I perceive very difficult. I sort of ground myself into that thought that every time I'm being tested, it's because I'm being trained for something really great in life.
0: That's so perfect. So perfect in general about how people can really tap into that now Mm -hmm. and also use it later. And that's something that you took with you, you know, years ago and show up with to this day. And so I appreciate you sharing that with, with me and with us, because again, I want, If this is an opportunity for somebody listening right now to be able to say, I was struggling. I'm in the midst of something. This is hard. Like, yes, absolutely. I feel you. And there's plenty of people that are feeling that right now as well. If this is helpful for you, great. If it's somebody, like if you know somebody that's got the same kind of stuff going on or has brought it up, please share this because- you know, this is why I do the show. This is why I bring on guests. Like I want these kinds of stories and Jamie, your story is amazing to impact other people and just be able to serve a purpose in some, in some way. If it's one person, great. If it's more than that, awesome. Like, um, and so I just, I really appreciate you being very open, very vulnerable, um, and just incredible in how you share what you have learned in your life and help to inspire audacity with other people Mm inspire you know them to keep going and just in general like i just appreciate you so very much
1: well thank you robin so much of this is still new for me to share so thank you so much for having me and giving me this opportunity i mean what you're doing is amazing and it's going to impact so many people because you're right right you know we can go through hard times and we can learn things but if we don't you know then shine a light for other folks on what we've learned i, I think there's a big missed opportunity. You know, one of the things I tell friends and clients, and it's a little excerpt from the beginning of my book is that, you know, we all have skeletons in our closets. Over time, we each have a choice. You can lock the lock that door and throw away the key, or you can swing that door right open and shine a light for everyone to see. And so I'd like to believe that by shining a light on my own hard times that, you know, even like you said, that it impacts one person, um, gives somebody that light that they can follow to find their own path and, Way out of darkness, well, then it's all worth it.
0: Thank you for that. And yeah. speaking of how can people find you if they want to get to know more about you, your story, your coaching, any of those things, how can people reach you?
1: Awesome. I'm on all the basic social medias Jamie Consul, number the K. It's a little tricky to spell. So if finding my fire is easier, findingmyfire.com on the internet, finding my fire on Instagram, You know, message me. And uh, happy to chat. Always grateful to kind of meet new people and all that fun stuff. Awesome. Thank you so much,
0: Jamie. I appreciate you so very much. And thank you to anybody that's listening right now. Again, if you've got an opportunity to share this, please do subscribe. And uh, with love and laughter, just have a great day.
1: Thanks, Robin. That was awesome. Bye, everybody. Thank you for having me.